This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth and Cicada fail to buy a book. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episodes you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the twelfth episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 12. On the Sea. One. Moth stepped out of the cabin, handbag slung over her shoulder. She wore tight stretch jeans, sandals, and a t-shirt with vote baggins for a better shire emblazoned across the chest. Equipment and ordnance had chosen the design, but it had made Cicada chortle, so Moth had taken it, and the few others of a similar ilk now in her suitcase, without much of a fuss. She vaguely knew that this was from the Lord of the Rings. She'd done some research, after all, self-serving though her motives may have been. The name on the badge she wore on a lanyard around her neck was not Moth, and it was just as fictitious. She couldn't help feeling faintly ridiculous. And yet, was this much worse than any one of a hundred different costumes she'd had to wear for a job? At least this was comfortable. And she really made it work. Her hair was perfect. Her makeup was even better. She smelled great, and not just because she'd come off the slide. And her teeth gleamed. She looked fantastic, and she didn't care who knew it. The six or seven young men and women dotted about the hallway, leaning against the walls, were also, to a one, sporting t-shirts akin to hers. Most designs were in-jokes that left her adrift. One showed a fiery mountain and a high tower crowned by a stark, floating red eye, a spot called, according to the caption, Mount Doom. That was also from The Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? But that other one that proclaimed that winter was coming, mystifying. She smiled, gamely enough, at them all. They were here, bless their hearts, for the fantasy con on the sea, or fangots, as the Withit kids called it. Three and a half days of lectures and talks and PowerPoint presentations about elves and trolls and magic swords and, she felt confident, dragons. Also spaceships and robots. Actors, torn between a beloved role and their own soul. Directors, defined by a single work. Authors with a new book to flog and old ones to sign. A masquerade. An art show. An auction. A packed dealer's showroom heaving with a million books and comics and movies on disc and action figures and autographed posters and sundry glittering knickknacks. On a cruise ship. Not quite her thing.
She liked one dragon, and that was Fafner, the singing worm in Wagner's Siegfried. Still, Collection said jump, as Spider had been wont to repeat before she'd retired. Cicada would show up in about two hours, by Moth's reckoning. Moth's plan was to locate the discrepancy, identify the plinth, secure it, and get as far toward straight-lining the whole mess as she could before her colleague stepped off the slide. And then who knew? Cicada liked these funny wizard stories. This was a fine ship. There were two pools. Two. She'd brought a rather flattering swimsuit, and the weather was clear and hot. Sunsets were bound to be vivid in the middle of the Pacific, surely. She was not a pushy sort of woman, not in matters of the heart, not when the person who made her bump into things was an office colleague, but she was damned if she was actively going to prevent the setting from influencing Cicada a bit. As point, she'd been in charge of the containment, which she'd set up nice and clean after sliding in. Quick, too. The ship was its own little division now. Of course, ships sort of were anyway. Locked rooms. Two. The brief, said the plinth, was a book. A certain, specific, important book. That meant the dealer's showroom. Moth lost no time. Considering they were on a boat, the hall was, to her surprise, much larger than she would have thought. Vendors were still setting up their stalls, pulling thick piles of books and magazines and trading cards and Blu-rays out of cardboard boxes, and sorting them out on long, low, fabric-covered tables. They were also, apparently, expecting to make a brisk trade in prop swords, as well as colorful little figures with enormous heads and distressingly vacuous eyes. She walked around, idly, getting a feel for the place and the people in it. She was not the only attendee on the floor, either. Many other visitors were staking out the terrain. Finding a plinth was not usually very difficult. These charged objects had a tendency to sing very loudly to those in the vicinity who had ears to hear them. But today, in this room, she perceived no particular call of the historically significant artifact. Even less of the historically significant misplaced or purloined artifact. Possibly the merchant who had it in his or her custody had not arrived yet. Her senses were also alert to a remarkably keyed-up pitch to the presence of the discrepancy that would, according to the brief, try to abscond with the book. Again, though, no tug on any of the tendrils of her searching mind. The Hobbit, first edition, the 1937 one, she told a bearded fellow behind a likely table. I've heard someone's got one in here. The man's head bobbed up and down with some enthusiasm. That'll be a Jim and Vera's man, he answered in the ebullient voice of the born salesman, something of a rarity in this particular market. Invisibly, Moth made a quick note of the information. At the end of the aisle there, see the sign? The dealer went on. The precious shop. 
I'm not sure they have it with them just now. It's kind of crazy valuable, so it might be in a safe, but they brought it on the ship all right. He gave her a blazing grin. We're all a bit excited about it, to tell you the truth. Even in this line of work, you don't often encounter something like that. Not everyone can free up the kind of cash to acquire an item of that caliber, even though you'll eventually make your money twice or even three times over if you manage to sell it. It's supposed to be in an old wooden gift box, too, which is pretty different. Do you just want to see it? I want to buy it. That stopped him in his tracks. His eyes bucked out a little, then twinkled. Wow. Well, hope you've got a safe place to put it before we get back to shore if you manage to snatch it. Do you think many people will want to acquire it? I hope so, for Jim's sake. The man laughed. But Vera is not always an easy dealer to get along with. She loves these books, and she's forever talking about sending them to good homes. She'll want to vet you, and anyone coming close to that item. Vera can be a real Calvin Tower about these things, you know what I mean? <laughs> Moth smiled knowingly. She hadn't a clue. Mind you, I'm of the opinion that an item like that might just be worth more in publicity than as an actual sale. People want to see it, they come in, they gawk, like they're in a museum, but they've got in the door by them, haven't they? So they don't want to walk out empty-handed, and they end up buying something reasonable instead. Speaking of which, he pivoted into his sales pitch. If that deal falls through, don't hesitate to come back and see me. You look like a discerning customer. I have an October 1934 weird tales. First, Jurel's story, right? That will only set you back 600 bucks. Cover's been taped back and fallen off again, but other than that, it looks good. Hell of a bargain. I've seen it go for more than double that on eBay. And anyway, that's nowhere near the 20,000 Jim and Vera are asking for that hobbit, am I right? <laughs> Mind you, even that's a steal. Moth was utterly bewildered by the end of this spiel. She did not know whether Jirel was, and though she had an intellectual understanding of the amounts mentioned, none of them registered viscerally as, Oh Lord, that's a lot of money. I'll keep that in mind, she assured the merchant. Thank you for the info. She was strolling about the room, circling toward the precious shop, when the first note from Cicada arrived, much too early. In theatre, it said. Three. Meet me at the door of the dealer's room, noted Moth and waited, calmly, professionally. She was not going to bounce off the walls. For one thing, because of Cicada's early arrival, the job still needed to be done. For another, the entire environment was more alien to Moth than any job she'd ever been on, and she'd been inside haunted houses in space. This was not Paris in 1902 at the Opéra Comique. A fantasy con was Cicada's idea of fun. Cicada had lobbied for it, in fact, and made Collection's life unbearable until he'd agreed to send her as Moth's partner. Moth had kept a very politic silence about the pairing. But now, here, she certainly felt like bouncing off the walls. And there Cicada was, 
grinning like a lunatic, waving at her from the other side of the corridor, indeed jogging up to Moth, looking for all the world like this was not a job, but, well, a fantasy con on a big ship, something designed to make a geek, Cicada's word, like her happy. Moth smiled. She felt self-conscious. This kind of demonstrative enjoyment really embarrassed her. But, oh, she found it so powerfully attractive as well. Maud, check this out. Cicada was waving the program around. That voice tickled Moth along the length of her spine. The viewing room schedule is amazing. They're showing 20,000 leagues under the sea tonight. Well, at about three in the morning. Ever seen that? Scowling James Mason, shirtless Kirk Douglas, the always reliable Peter Lorre. Hello, Cicada. I don't know who any of these people are. Well, we'll have to remedy that, won't we? I've seen it, of course, but never with a bunch of fans like they've got here. This is going to be great. Moth sighed as she looked. Don't gop. Don't stare, for heaven's sake. Don't be weird. At her colleague. Tawny skin, light brown with hints of pink about the cheeks. Deep, dark brown eyes under thin eyebrows. Short, tightly curly hair, worn in a sort of explosion. Nose ring. Very large earrings. And everything else rolling about according to some sort of moth-dreamed idea of charm and motion. Cicada's tight, black t-shirt seemed to advertise her job. It was stenciled with the Tenniel ink illustration, in negative, of a sword-swinging Alice confronting the Jabberwock a reference that Moth was proud to recognize. She didn't have a chance to express the compliment she'd been preparing, which may have been a blessing. Cicada suddenly cocked her head and asked, Do you feel that? Moth did. She looked around and noticed a slightly overweight woman with longish, stringy, pale hair walking in from the other entrance, holding a wooden box in her arms holding it with some tenderness, as though it were a child. The plinth is coming in, said Moth, then looked confused. Cicada did as well. Vera had already placed the box inside a glass case on the precious shop table when they walked up to her. Cicada's mouth widened in a cheerful, teeth-filled smile. That's your 1937 Hobbit, isn't it, Mom? Cicada sounded genuinely excited. She was genuinely excited. Moth had an idea that on this ship, Cicada would have a tendency to take the point. She couldn't help herself. It was Christmas and her birthday all at once. Moth didn't mind. Was there anything more attractive than a sincerely happy Cicada? Can we see it? The woman... She was in her late forties, maybe early fifties, Moth reckoned, surveyed them, up and down, like a machine. She seemed friendly enough, but she was in no hurry to comply with the request. We'll open the box a couple of times during the con, she said at length, but I'll tell you, I don't think we'll just leave it open, no way, no how. This item is fragile, you know, and the whole point of the box, which is plenty old itself, is to protect it. Cicada's crest fell. We're actually interested in buying it, replied Moth. 
She made a note. I was warned that this woman would be a bit of a trial. Is it just me? Noted Cicada. Or is the charge on that book weaker than it should be? Vera frowned at them from behind her plastic-rimmed glasses, visibly incredulous. It's marked at 22,000. That's 2,000 more than the amount the gentleman at that other table mentioned, said Moth levelly. Who, Brian? Well, he's not the one selling it, is he? And it's nothing compared to the copy that went for more than 200,000 a few years ago. Think she's the discrepancy? Noted Cicada puckishly. She's got that curmudgeonly thing going. I don't think so. I think she's just in the wrong line of work. That one was personally inscribed by Tolkien, as you know perfectly well, grumbled a voice from the other side of the table. Its tone was short, but not devoid of affection. An older man, in his late fifties, hobbled toward them, carrying a sizable wobbly paunch with him under a grey XXL t-shirt with a wizened, wide-eyed homunculus printed on it, under the slogan, I only shop at my precious. The man smelled of old spice, masking the distant, curdled nip of sweat. On his balding head sat a baseball cap, embroidered with the legend, Eat Lambus. Cicada chuckled at that, to Moth's utter puzzlement. It was like being on Mars, or in a mental institution. Open the damned box, Vera, harumphed the man, even if they just want to see it. We really are looking to buy it, said Cicada brightly. Vera rolled her eyes at that. Did she doubt their intentions? Was she annoyed at being told what to do? Moth found it impossible to tell. What Vera did then was interesting. She pulled the wooden box out from under the glass and laid it on the case. It was a calmly looking thing, apparently made of golden pine wood, finely crafted and varnished. But before they had time to examine it, she had quickly opened it, the top swung on a hinge like a box used to hold tea bags, and slid it, open, back under the glass. And there the book lay, with its green cloth jacket cover almost glittering, even in the unflattering neon light of the hall. The Hobbit, it said in darker green type, sandwiched between Tolkien's stylized representation of a mountain range at the top and his surprisingly awkward silhouette of a dragon at the bottom. Tolkien's name was nowhere to be seen on the cover. That was only on the spine, as any real aficionado knew. Cicada took an involuntary step forward, covetous eyes shining. Her hands twitched. Vera crossed her arms on her chest as Cicada began to babble. You know, Mott, this is the version Tolkien published before he had a good idea that he was going to write The Lord of the Rings. It's nothing much to do with most of the stuff he'd been working on before. The languages, the Silmarillion, you know. This hobbit's ring is just a magic ring. It's not the one ring or anything. It's not, exclaimed Moth. Well, I never. Cicada flushed a little, quite prettily. Moth felt like a heel. Ha ha, Cicada said flatly. Then she made a note. 
Haw haw indeed, the note read. Yeah, I'm a nerd. Sue me. Still, there are two things that are pretty weird about this book. One, why is it so weakly charged? I haven't exactly been in contact with a huge number of plinths, but so far, every time it was impossible to ignore. Whereas this thing... Moth nodded, still embarrassed. You can tell it's charged. Yes, noted Cicada, but you kind of have to be listening for it, you know? Moth considered this. Then she noted, what's the other weird thing? The note came immediately. Why is it even charged at all? I mean, no question but that a first edition of the pre-revised version of The Hobbit is a pretty cool thing, but why is it a plinth? What could be important or unique enough about a copy of the first edition of any book, lovely though it is? The first printing of The Hobbit was still 1500 copies. It's rare, true, but it's not holding up reality rare. Do you want to touch it? wondered Moth. Would that help, do you think? I don't know, would it? We can push a bit, the containment will make these two pliable enough. I don't think that'll be necessary. We know where it is, now we look for the discrepancy, right? If you do end up buying it, said Jim pleasantly. No more than two seconds had passed since Cicada's last audible remark by Moth's reckoning. I wonder if you'd mind waiting to take actual possession of it until the end of the con. I won't lie to you, that first edition is the number one reason people will stop by our table all weekend. Giving it to you now will make you mighty popular, but it'll make our time here a bit boring. I've waited all my life to own something like this, said Cicada with a carefree laugh, so I don't suppose waiting a couple of days longer will kill me. Do you think we'll have to fight off other buyers? Apart from the discrepancy, you mean, noted Moth dryly. You can never tell, smiled Jim. But to be honest, I'm kind of surprised there's even you. Vera reached back in the glass case, slipped the box out, and closed it again. Her face was working. She was visibly struggling to keep a friendly seller's demeanor. We need to finish setting up, she said. Come tomorrow. I'll let you look at the item up close then. Good day. Jim looked at Moth and Cicada and shrugged, as if to say, Well, what can you do? 4. There were a number of restaurants on the ship. The one they chose was on the top deck and had marvelous sushi on the menu. One of the good things about the net was that Collection never made a fuss about where Ops ate on a job. Budget was a thing, but not money, not on this side of the slide. Some ops embraced that leniency a little too liberally, perhaps. Butterfly, bless him, was starting to run to pudginess because he couldn't help himself. Food in theater, he told anyone who would listen, just tasted better than food at Nethouse. Their table was outside, on a rotunda, and the evening was pristine. Cicada's pinkish cheeks were darkening to red, but that was only because the setting sun was doing the same. Even Moth's usually chalky complexion was taking on a deeper color. Not too many attendees in the place, remarked Moth conversationally. Patrons appeared to be somewhat older, 
and there was a notable dearth of genre t-shirts. Fantasy nerds put their money into their hobby, sugar, not the food, Segeda answered, choosing not to see how Moth had quivered at the carefree endearment. And it's worse on a boat, I guess. This stuff runs into money when you're paying for it yourself. They're all eating in the third-class buffet, I expect, if that's a thing. Wine all right? I hate it when I feel I have to drink sake just because I'm in a sushi place. She switched to Japanese to order, realized that the waiter wasn't following her, and went back to English. Moth breathed, long and slow, and tried to pretend she didn't. After what she deemed a reasonable pause, she said, You're happy here, aren't you? At something like this? You've read all these books. You've seen all the movies. Cicada's delight was unfeigned. Yeah, I'm more or less from this division, you know. Time-wise, in any case. Moth did know, but that was a little weird of her, so she pursed her lips and opened her eyes wide anyway. Are you really? I'm from much, much earlier. Well, this had got very personal very quickly, and no mistake. Net ops rarely talked about their life before. It made one too easily despondent. No way to go back, that was the sticking point. There were only three ways to leave Nethouse, and none of them involved going back home. That's why music's your thing, I guess, said Cicada and gestured at a TV monitor showing the con's schedule. This kind of pop culture doesn't quite abide like Mozart. You like what you like. Nothing wrong with that. A bit more wine. During dinner there would be a little more wine than what might have been strictly reasonable, and that probably went some way toward explaining the rest of the night. My mom and dad were big nerds. My mom, bless her heart, Put the hobbit in my hands when I was nine. I remember her reading it to me, too. That was the best. One of the most quoted first lines in history, you know. Moth and the wine decided to take a risk. Her voice was never exactly crystalline, but just then it was as throaty as she was prepared to let it sound. You could read a bit of it to me. I'd like that. I could put some music on if you like. After dinner, there was the pool, which was right next to a bar. Moth wore her black bikini with a long green beach towel wrapped around her hips, like a heathen priestess in a 50s monster movie. Cicada was more the one-piece sports swimsuit type, though she liked it colorful, and a fine look it was for her too. She showed off a bit and demonstrated how long she could hold her breath underwater which was long indeed. She'd been a champion swimmer in a former life. Then to Moth's cabin. Did we mention there was a bar close to the pool? For music, and in a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. They didn't finish the first chapter. They didn't actually listen to Mendelssohn's Lieder ohne Worte, and they never made it to the screening of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. 5. The connection was already broken by the next morning. Cicada made an excuse, 
To be fair, she did need a change of clothes, and they arranged to meet in the dealer's hall after breakfast, which it was now obvious they would not be taking together. Cicada was not unkind about it, but there was a certain finality to the fleeting way she smiled before taking her leave. Moth could not have said she was surprised. She had never exactly been the optimistic sort. But sitting forlornly on a bed, in a cabin, on a ship, in a division that she would never call home, she did feel as though she'd been hit up the nose with a sock full of wet sand. For Cicada, that was that. Moth, however, would carry these hours within her for a while. She would have laughed bitterly in the face of a seer who would have told her that she was in fact going to be married to Cicada before turning forty. 6. In one of the larger dining rooms, surrounded by wizards and knights and superheroes she did not recognize, Moth stared glumly at her coffee. She'd only started drinking coffee a few years earlier. Butterfly had got her to try it, but he professed horror at the way she chose to take it. It looked black, but there were three sugars in it. Sometimes four. She let her gaze fall down on the t-shirt she was wearing now. On it was printed the sentence, All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy, in an old typewriter font, repeated about twenty times. Completely opaque, of course, but she'd already been complimented on it once this morning, so she surmised equipment and ordnance had chosen wisely. She listened with some yearning to the impenetrable conversations crisscrossing around her. A young black woman wearing a t-shirt with the words spoiler-free zone was excitedly telling her friend, an older Asian woman dressed in what appeared to be some sort of mock academic robes, red and black with a golden crest on the breast pocket, that Rick and Michonne had actually laughed at her joke. Someone else was very eager to attend a Q&A with someone called the Tenth Doctor. A gaggle of giggling twenty-somethings carrying plastic spears and stuffed dragons, strolled by, jauntily singing something about tossing a coin to their witcher, though she thought she could hardly have heard that right. It was all a little fervid and disordered, but at the same time there was something quite appealing about it. These people, whatever else was happening in their lives, were genuinely happy here, and they were happy to share their happiness. Cicada could have explained every one of these in-jokes to her. Moth believed that she would have liked that more than anything in the world's, and that was a startling thought in itself. But that was when Cicada's note dropped, and it was all back to the job. I'm a Jim and Vera's table. I asked for the book. Yes, yes, Moth noted back. She didn't mean to be curt, but the thought of collection deducing the events of the night from her unguarded notes was unbearable. It's been stolen, right out of the box. Moth was only surprised for a second. Well, we know who took it, don't we? Vera? The other seller I spoke to yesterday called her a regular Marvin Tower. Calvin Tower, you mean? Moth chuckled sadly. In jokes. Cicada got them. 
I imagine that's a character from a well-known story among your crowd. A character of an acquisitive nature? A bookseller, who can't bear to sell his books. Moth's eyebrows rose. I see. Can you find out the number of their cabin? We can meet there and start searching. My bet is we feel the charge right through the door. Cicada's note was slow in coming. See, that's the thing. I don't know what we'd sense outside that cabin. It's 3009, by the way. But in the meantime, I can tell you that the charge I'm feeling right now comes from the box the book came in. The box, Moth noted, feeling the ground give under her feet. I'm staring at it right now. It's giving off the exact same resonance it was yesterday when the book was in it. Moth gulped the last of her coffee, not quite tasting it. Right. I'll check out the book and meet you back in the merchant's hall. You find out what the deal with the box is. Whoa there, Tiger. You can't go for the book on your own. Vera's got to be the discrepancy. I won't engage until we go back together. And in any case, I have my doubts. Why would the discrepancy go for a dead book when there's a plinth just next to it? Who knows what in the hell goes on in the discrepancy's mind, said Cicada's note. Discrepancies are wonky and getting wonkier all the time. You taught me that. 7. Cabin 3009 was not one of the luxury ones. Moth reached out silently. She sensed nothing. No charge, no discrepancy, no human beings. More mundanely, she put her head to the wall and listened. Still nothing. The door was locked, obviously, but locked doors had never been much of a source of narrative tension in Moth's adventures. She walked in, holding her seer in front of her. She didn't think she'd need it, but she was a professional. The cabin was empty. There was no hint of a plinth singing. And, more interestingly, no residual resonance. Of any kind. At all. Just a ship's cabin, and in all likelihood, just a book. It took all of three minutes of a fairly routine search to find it. It had been hastily hidden under a pile of socks and women's underwear. Moth laid her hand on the green cover and traced the title, surprised at the thrill she received from the texture of the cloth under her finger. She held the book up, turned it around a few times, even sniffed at it. She opened it, looked at the pages, read the first line, which she would still remember on her dying day. She found herself tempted simply to leave with the volume. There were no reality-altering reasons not to, only deontological ones, and Moth was a good op. <laughs> Dead, book. Dead book, Moth noted, placing it back where she'd found it, carefully burying it under old bras and stretched-out panties. Not a plinth, not a plinth. just, an, just old, an old, fairly valuable, valuable book that a fantasy buff can't bring herself, bring herself to sell. To sell. Then come on. come on. Cicada's note was urgent. Leave it there. Leave it there. Be, careful. Be careful. The discrepancy, the discrepancy is, still is still around. Moth nodded carelessly and slid the drawer shut. 
the magnetic catch clicked. Cicada's note went on. Why wouldn't it be Vera? That socially awkward collector thing she has going on may just be the persona. The door of the cabin opened before Moth could note anything back, and she heard a gasp. She whirled around and leveled the searer straight in Vera's face. The bookseller went white with shock. You stole your own book, said Moth. Please don't shoot, whispered Vera, then squinted at the searer. What the hell kind of gun is that? A prop, said Moth evenly. Bought it yesterday. You stole your own book, she repeated as though the conversation was perfectly rational. Vera managed to look ashamed, unconcerned, and defiant, all at the same time. She hesitated. Moth thought that the woman was considering going for denial, but when Vera spoke, what she said was, I just didn't want to sell it. It's such a beautiful thing. Why are you selling it? Jim is adamant we need the money. You don't agree? Not really, Vera pouted. We're doing all right. What will Jim do when he realizes you took the book? Now Vera's eyes misted up. You'll just sigh, I guess? Her voice dropped, caught. That's what he did the other times. Moth shrugged in disgust and holstered the seer. Vera seemed to forget she'd even seen the weapon. Containment always did a number on people. Moth made a quick note, wrestling with the words to make them as boring and factual as possible. Vera, Vera is not is the not discrepancy. discrepancy. I don't have to buy the book, Moth sighed. You can keep it as far as I'm concerned, but you might want to think about what you value most. Moth's eyes were burning. They sought out Vera's. The bookseller couldn't hold Moth's gaze for more than ten seconds. A few old books, Moth went on in a brittle tone. Or your relationship with a man who knows you steal from your own shop and still loves you. She stopped herself before the torrent of unfair recriminations threatening to burst her throat could spew out. So much, so much she could have said. So much she was loath to admit she was inventing in her own mind. Vera let out a very soft moan and blinked back tears. She kept stealing glances at the drawer where she'd hidden the book. Moth had to fight an insane urge to slap her. She took a deep, sonorous breath, gave Vera a quick salute with a dip of the head, and made as though she were leaving the cabin. Vera shuffled to the side, still avoiding eye contact. As she walked past, a madness suddenly took over Moth, and before she could think better of it, she had put her hand on the woman's shoulder. Vera's eyes closed almost instantly. Her head drooped with a barely voiced, Ooh, and she let herself be guided to the bed. Moth bent down over the sleeping form. Think about it. She breathed in the woman's ear, feeling foolish, out of control, 
and very unprofessional. Then she straightened up and left. Vera wouldn't be out for more than fifteen minutes, but when she woke up, the memory of the encounter would be gone. But not, God have mercy, the suggestion, which Moth kept off the notes. Back in the corridor, she touched up her lipstick and made sure her hair was in place. As she walked back to the dealer's hall, shaken, weaving between vacationers and attendees, there came a note from Cicada. Mort, Mort, I think you'll want to see this. this. 8. This, it turned out, was a letter. Cicada had found it in a secret compartment on the inside of the box's back panel. Cicada stood by the precious shop stall next to Jim, who was slouched down behind the table, looking dazed and defeated. She almost asked Moth if everything was all right. The redhead looked so very unmanned. Then forbore, as she figured her colleague was simply more emotional than she let on. And on her account, probably. Damn, why were older women so complicated? She handed her the yellowed, thinning envelope she'd discovered, without a word. Moth shivered at the charge left in the letter. It was a short, heartfelt paragraph addressed to Tolkien in a delicate hand, praising the Hobbit. The letter writer, rather bewilderingly, assured him that she was proud of his storytelling gift, and that she was looking forward to reading his Lord of the Ring, singular. Love, your Edith. Moth frowned, bemused. That's no paramour, I take it? This was written by... Tolkien's wife? That's who this Edith is? Yes, Jim piped up like an automaton responding to stimuli, before sinking back into despondency. Cicada goggled at him for a second, then shook her head. It's an amazing letter if you like that sort of thing, she said. The prevailing view among Tolkien scholars is that Edith never quite liked his writing that she was indifferent to it at best, though she appreciated the status his fame eventually afforded her. But this, this now, this says she read him, and enjoyed his stuff, and encouraged him. And he loved his wife very much. We know that, from written accounts by family members and friends, as well as from his own letters. So this must have spurred him, given him the kick up the arse he felt he needed. Moth nodded slowly. Yes, I see it. She swallowed hard. But that's in the past, surely. It worked. It's done its job. This was, was, a plinth. It still sort of is, I suppose, but it's spent. We don't have to do anything with it. It's exactly where it should be. Yes, and so's the book. The implications of this mess were becoming glaringly obvious to them both. Moth threw her hands up. That brief was a joke. Complete false alarm. What are we supposed to tell collection? There is nothing to straight line here. You sure about that? Aren't you? The fact is, we are the only discrepancies in this division right now. 
Cicada's dark lips loosened into a pout. Moth turned to Jim and handed him the letter, after putting it back in its diaphanous envelope. Here you go. Have this authenticated. You know where the book went, don't you? He looked at her in despair, but not confusion. You mean Vera? I mean Vera. Listen, Jim. In for a penny, she thought. Give her a chance. I've a feeling she'll let you sell the book after all. I'm afraid you'll have to find another buyer, sorry to say. We don't need it anymore. But this is not just about the book. Give her a chance. Okay, said Jim. It doesn't need to be about money, Moth went on, ignoring Cicada's perplexed stare. But I think that once the letter has been appraised, the book, the box, and the letter will pretty much set you up for retirement if that's what you want. Or you can pump it back into the business. You figure it out together. Good luck. Nine. As they were walking back to their cabins, idly debating who would give collection the report, there was no debate, really, it was Moth's responsibility, but Cicada was amused by the prospect of telling off collection over a useless job. Moth suddenly stopped. Cicada walked a few steps further along, then backtracked, puzzled and anticipating something embarrassing. In for a penny, Moth thought once again, blushing. She pulled a book out of her handbag and held it out. I got you this, she said, her voice unsteady. It was a mass paperback of The Hobbit, the current edition in this division. I thought about just taking the first edition. Who'd have missed it, really? It's just another book. But I thought that would have been a bit on the nose. She shifted her weight from foot to foot. I was thinking. Maybe. You can really read it to me. She swallowed. Cicada took just a little too long to answer. Oh, sugar. She twirled her hands. What happens in theater? You know? This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this 12th episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, tell people about it. You don't have that much time left for it to make a difference. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The address is in the show notes. This one is for all my nerds, online and in real life. A bit of a breather before the final slide home. And oh my god, my cat was a nightmare when I recorded this. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of The Moth Collection.
I'm Tom Zalatnai. And I'm Taffer Ajamian. And we're the hosts of the No Bad Food podcast. No Bad Food is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Find us in the Pod Cavern or wherever fine podcasts are sold.